appreciate Brother Tim's message this morning. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That fits right in, doesn't it? That's why you can cast not some of your care, not just part of it, but all of it. Um, that word care, it doesn't say cast all your cares, but the word care there is used in a way that embraces all of the cares that you will have to face and endure in your lifetime. Cast them all upon him. He, he can handle it. You know, he can take care of it. Um, I'd like to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. You also find this in the book of Mark in chapter 7. But in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, we read where Jesus went and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you had your map out and you were looking at the land of Palestine in the time of Christ, you would see that this, these two towns were along the Mediterranean Sea on the north on the north side. It's probably about a 90 to 100 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, 90 to 100 miles today doesn't seem like very far, but I can assure you that was a great distance in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ did most of his ministry around Galilee, Jerusalem, and those areas. But on this occasion here, he went a long ways, again, from Jerusalem. It's also significant to know that this was what we would call Gentile territory. The Lord had told his disciples just earlier in Matthew chapter 10, when he gave them that first gospel commission, now I'm talking about the apostles themselves, he tells them to go not among the Gentiles or the way of the Samaritans, but go ye rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The expression lost house of Israel is used a couple of times by the Lord. It has reference, of course, to the Jewish people, the house of Israel, that is, the nation of Israel. And they were lost from the standpoint that they didn't recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. But yet the Lord had a people among them. He calls them sheep. Now, lost sheep is just as much of a sheep as a sheep that's not lost. You know, being lost don't mean they're no longer sheep. But the Jewish people, when Christ came to this world, had declined in their spirituality. They had moved away from uh, the teachings of God from the Old Testament. It had been 400 years since they'd had a prophet. The last prophet was Malachi, the last writer of the Old Testament. So the Lord, though, the point I want to make is, the Lord told his disciples, his apostles, where not to go and where to go. He told them not to go among the Gentiles or the way of the Samaritans. For whatever reason, uh, the Lord forbid them to go to these two areas or to these two classifications of people. But now the Lord is going to go up into Gentile territory. Now he's not going to go into the cities of Tyre and Sidon. If you read it very carefully, both passages in Matthew and Mark, you'll find he came to the coast of these two towns. He came to the outer edge of these two towns, to the borders of these two towns. And Mark's account tells us that he was in a house which he told no one of, but then it says, but he could not be hid. That might seem like a little out of the ordinary, unusual to read that, because uh, the Lord obviously made himself accessible to everyone. But in his humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ needed a time of rest, just like you do, and I do. You know, when the Lord fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, 
you're reading there where it says he caused the people to come apart. You know, there's an old saying, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. So everybody needs to come apart, you know, every once in a while. And this was even true with the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this particular point, Christ had done so many miracles. He had become so well known that it was not possible for him even to be in this area of the country and be in a house which he told no one of without his presence being known. And so there was a woman who came to him. And she came to him because the Bible says she heard of Jesus. Now, you'll find several cases in the New Testament where people were blessed of the Lord in miraculous ways that their story begins with that expression and they heard of Jesus. Um, I want to hear more and more about Jesus in my life. And I want you to hear more about Jesus. I want you to hear, though, about the Jesus of the Bible. There is a Jesus that's preached that I cannot find in the Bible. He's just not there. There's a Jesus that's preached that instead of him, that he can't do everything he would really like to do because there's not enough support and cooperation from man. And so therefore he's not going to be able to accomplish all that he had purposed to do because of man's failure. I can't find that Jesus in the Bible. The Jesus I find in the Bible was victorious over all things. The Jesus I find in the Bible displayed his attributes of being omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. That's the Jesus I want you to hear about. In Mark 5 and 27, there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And the Bible says that she had gone to all the physicians in the land, and she wound up spending everything that she had on the physicians. You know, I, I think I can kind of relate, uh, and you probably can too. I guess the most important thing for all of us would be our, our health, right? But that's the one thing we hate to spend money on. We just hate to go to the doctor in the hospital. It's so costly, it's so expensive. Uh, but our health is the most important thing. Uh, but she spent all that she had, but she was none the better. Now, not only has her health not improved, but now she has no money. The Bible says, well, she heard of Jesus. Now, when it says she heard of Jesus, I believe we can assume she'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard about Jesus. She heard of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people I've heard of. If I got in serious trouble, I'd have no reason to go to them. You know, I just heard of them, but I'd have no reason to go to them. But the man they heard of, they had a good reason to go to him. So she went to him, and she said, if I could only just be where he was at, if I could only just touch the hem of his garment, she says, I know that I'd be healed. My issue of blood would be taken away from me. And sure enough, she got where Jesus was. She had to work her way through the multitudes to get to him. But when she touched the hem of his garment, we find that her issue of blood was removed, and she was healed. It all began when she heard of Jesus. Centurion, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you from Luke 7 about a centurion, a Roman Gentile soldier in charge of 100 men. He had a servant that was near and dear to him, but the servant was sick and nigh unto death. And it says, but he heard of Jesus. When he heard of Jesus, he sent the chief elders to where Jesus was at and besought him to come and heal his servant. And the Lord did. It all began when he heard of Jesus. Now, I don't know of anybody in this world, obviously, I want you to hear about any more than to hear about Jesus. He's the Savior of sinners, isn't he? He's the one who came and 
displayed his great love for you and love for me by offering his body on the cross to the Father, making a sacrifice to the Father, living in a world that was antagonistic against him, living in a world that opposed him every step of the way, and he persevered. He set his face like a flint and headed to Jerusalem, and he was not deterred. Now, that's the kind of Jesus I want to hear more and more about. It's the kind of Jesus Brother Tim told us about this morning. The kind of Jesus I want to try to tell you about, <coughs> excuse me, on a regular basis. Now, this woman heard of Jesus. The centurion, she heard of Jesus. Um, we're going to find here where this woman has heard of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. This woman is a Gentile woman. This woman is kind of separated from all the activities of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life in general. Again, the Lord spent most of his time on the Sea of Galilee, in Galilee, or down in Jerusalem. Um, that's where he spent most of his life. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And then he spent a great deal of his time in Jerusalem. So she is kind of out of the circle, so to speak. But some way, somehow, she has heard about this man. And what she's heard about this man draws out something inside of her that only God could put in her. So what was that? Uh, what she heard about Jesus drew out the faith that was in this woman. You'll see when this is all said and done, the Lord will commend her for her great faith. So where did she get this great faith from? Where did she get this great faith from? From the only place she could have got it from. From the same place you got yours from. From the same place I got the faith I have from. It comes from a sovereign God. God knew all about this woman before he ever got to Sidon and Tyre. She was one of his little children, somebody he knew about even before the foundation of the world. And he knew all about her case, knew all about her life. He had already borne her of the Spirit of God. When she heard of Jesus, she came. And she came beseeching him. That word beseech means to plead with passion. To plead with passion. She came and she besought him. She says, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And she said, come and heal my daughter. Cast the unclean spirit out. She addresses him as Lord. And she says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. The expression, thou son of David, was a Jewish expression. It was a messianic expression. She is a Gentile, but she's heard enough about this man, one way or the other, uh, that she's familiar with this uh, expression. And she acknowledges him as Lord. As Lord, I believe she's saying here, I know you can do anything. There's nothing hard or impossible for you to perform. You are Lord. You know, he's Lord of Lord and he's King of Kings. There's coming a day, according to Philippians chapter 2, when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. He's going to confess that. What? That he's Lord. He is Lord, is he not? He should be the Lord of your life and the Lord of my life. And so she comes to him and she beseeches him and she says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David, come and cast the unclean spirit out of my daughter. Now, I want you to notice that she doesn't demand the Lord to do this. She doesn't try to pay the Lord to do this. She comes and she comes crying for mercy. I want to think about that just for a little bit here this morning. 
She came crying for mercy. What do you think about mercy? Brother Tim mentioned Hebrews 4.16, where the writer says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, we really emphasize grace among the primitive Baptists, and rightfully so. We try to make sure God's people truly understand the true meaning of grace. It is the unmerited favor of God bestowed upon undeserving sinners. But mercy is also a very important word concerning an action that God bestows upon us. Mercy is what God doesn't give us. <laughs> you know, if He gave it exactly what we deserve, we wouldn't be able to stand before Him. So the Lord gives us mercy to go along with His grace. So notice these are the two things that you come to the throne of grace to obtain. And let us come boldly. The word boldly means with confidence. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father of mercies, plural, even the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, notice it's mercies, plural right here in that verse. He's the Father of it. That means all mercy originates with the Father. All examples of mercy originates with the Father. In Romans 12 and 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies, plural, of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, what he's saying here is this. If you consider the mercies of God, it will motivate you to come to the house of God. It will motivate you to overcome any obstacle in your way, any obstacle in your path, if you consider the mercies of God. So I want you to take a look this morning a little bit here at some categories of God's mercy. First of all, we go to Romans 9, 22 and 23. And the Apostle Paul said here, What if God, willing to show His wrath and make His power known on the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, but to make His, uh, you know, mercy known uh, on the vessels of mercy, which He are for and prepared unto glory. Now you got vessels of wrath and you got vessels of mercy. The Lord's elect are the vessels of mercy. You are a vessel of mercy. Now, a vessel is a container. A vessel is something that you can put something inside. You may pour something inside. You may put something inside of it. It is a container. Now, in the Bible, the word vessel sometimes has reference to a literal vase or container or whatever. Sometimes it has reference to our bodies. I just gave you that in Romans 9.23. We are vessels of mercy. Now in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And this treasure he's talking about is the gospel. It's the gospel. Move up just a little bit above that. He said, if our gospel be hid, it said to them who are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now he takes you all the way back to Genesis. For God who commanded the light. Here's something God commanded. He's the commander-in-chief. Here's something God commanded. He commanded the light to shine out of darkness. It was pure darkness. But God said, let there be light. And guess what? 
light appear, did it not? It light appear. Now, God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us what? A picture, whatever, uh, of the Lord of glory in our hearts. And then he goes on to say, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I'm a vessel, I'm an earthen vessel. But thank God I got a treasure inside this earthen vessel right here that God has given me. When Paul was known as Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, we find where he has dealt with him on the Damascus Road. And he was going on to Damascus. That's where he was heading. That's where he continued on. There was a man in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And the Lord speaks to Ananias and tells him about Saul of Tarsus. Now, he tells Saul of Tarsus to go to Damascus to a street called Straight, and there you'll meet this man, Ananias. God was working on both ends of the line. But he tells Ananias that he wants Ananias to, you know, greet and receive Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about this man. Well, everybody had heard about that man. That man was literally a breathing dragon. That man was a fire-breathing dragon. That man had consented to the death of Stephen. That man had persecuted the Lord's church. That man had put God's people in prison for doing what you're doing here this morning when he was Saul of Tarsus. All right, here's what the Lord told him. He says, Behold, he's a chosen vessel unto me. A chosen vessel, not just a vessel, a chosen vessel unto me. He then says, Behold, he prayeth. He tells him two things about Saul of Tarsus that calms Ananias down that soothes him, you might say, and convinces him this is okay, this man's okay. First of all, he's a chosen vessel of God. And number two, behold, he prayeth. A praying man is a harmless man, I can assure you. And I'm talking about praying from the heart. So Ananias went ahead and received the Apostle Paul and baptized him. So the word vessel can have reference to this body that I have right here and that you have. He says, you are vessels of mercy. Even mercy was, was bestowed upon you before you even had an existence. Mercy was bestowed upon you before the foundation of the world. Mercy was bestowed upon you before time ever began. You were a vessel of what? Of God's mercy. When you were born of the Spirit of God, notice Titus 3 and 5. Not by works of righteousness, which you've done, but according to His mercy... He has saved you with the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's why God saved you. It was according to mercy. The word according means to be in harmony with. It was in harmony with His mercy. You were a vessel of mercy, and God bore you the Spirit of God, not based upon works of righteousness. Now, there are works of righteousness that we should be involved in, but those works of righteousness is not going to bore you or anybody else with the Spirit of God. It's not based upon works of righteousness, not according to works of righteousness. No, what it's not according to, it what is according what it is according to. Not according to works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The work of grace in your heart. And you know, this work of grace, we oftentimes, uh, in, especially in the past, don't hear it quite as much, but I think we should, we express this as having somebody having an experience of grace, an experience of grace. So what does that mean? Is that something somebody went out and decided, I want some grace. 
I'm going to go out and have me an experience of grace. Uh, I've heard about this grace. I want, to, I want some of this grace. No, that's not the way it works. You see, if you've found grace in the sight of the Lord, that's because God's already bestowed grace upon you prior to that. All right? So it's based upon God's grace that you're born in the Spirit of God. And then listen in Psalms 85.10. He says, For mercy and truth are met together, and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Uh, when he says truth shall spring out of the earth, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, whose truth personified, and Christ sprung out of the earth, that is his virgin birth here in this world. And then he lived his life and went to Calvary. And when he hung upon the tree of the cross, we find mercy and truth meeting together. Yes, God saved you based on his mercy, but not at the expense of truth. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. He is the Prince of Peace. He obtained peace, but not, at the, uh, you might say, at the expense of righteousness. Righteousness had to be fulfilled. Righteousness had to be established and satisfied in the sight of God, and it was. As a result of that, we have peace with God. Truth had to be carried out, but, not, but, but mercy was involved with it. Mercy and truth again, have met together. So before the foundation of the world, as God chose you, he chose you, and you became a vessel of mercy. Sometime during your lifetime, he born you the Spirit of God. You had an experience of grace based upon his mercy. And then the Lord Jesus Christ represented you on Calvary. He represented you when he laid down his life 2,000 years ago. That's where mercy and truth met together. That's the legal um, you might say, uh, provisions being taken care of concerning your salvation. Now, what about in a timely way here? Is God merciful to us in time? Do we need God's mercy here? I, I think we do. Uh, I think about that case in Luke chapter 18. And you got two men going to the temple to pray. You have a Pharisee and you have a publican. And let me just say this. You'll find no record in the Bible where a Pharisee ever asked for mercy. He didn't think he needed it. You'll never find on record in the Bible where a Sadducee ever asked for mercy. You will not find where a chief priest, a scribe, or an elder ever asked for mercy. You will not find uh, these kind of people asking for mercy. So who do you find asking for mercy? Well, let's take a look at the Pharisee and the publican here just for a moment. The Pharisee said, Lord, I thank you. You know that's the way the Lord started his prayer in John 17? When Jesus prayed in John 17, he, bowed, he lifted up his eyes, rather, and he said, Lord, O Father, the hours come, glorify thy Son, he might also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power of all flesh, he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And in Matthew chapter 11, the Lord says, Father, I thank you. You've hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hath revealed them unto the babes. The Lord started a prayer with thank you. That's a great way to start a prayer. Tim emphasized that in the life of Jonah. Uh, you know, he made the offering of thanksgiving. So the Lord started his prayer this way. Well, as Pharisee starts his prayer this way, uh, if he could only continue along those lines, but he didn't. I thank you, O Lord, I'm not like other men, even like this man over here. And I can see him now pointing over to the publican over here. They both went up to pray to the temple, and he points to the publican, says, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like this man over here. You know, I think it was John Bunyan. 
that was walking the streets one time and he saw a drunk laying in the gutter and he says, except for the grace of God, that could have been me. He didn't lift himself up above even that man. Except for the grace of God, that could be me. And I think I've seen situations just like that many times in my own life. And I know, except for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here this morning. Except for the grace of God, I wouldn't be among the most wonderful people on this earth. Except, except for the grace of God, I wouldn't be in his house. Except for the grace of God, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, grace is what delivers us, you see, from those kind of things here. But the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. He says, I, I fast. I pay my tithes. I fast twice in a week. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he's telling the Lord what he does do. He said, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an extortioner. Um, you know, he tells him what he does and what he's not, just like the Lord didn't know. Uh, he's trying to educate the Lord, inform the Lord about all these matters. And then the publican, he's, and by the way, the Pharisee prayed a prayer that if you count them, there's 34 words in it, a 34-word prayer. The publican prays a seven-word prayer. He says, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Christ said, this man went down his house justified rather than the other. Now, here's two men who prayed. The Pharisee says nothing about mercy. He wasn't interested in mercy. The other man captured all his feelings in motion with that one word. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. Now, if you feel that way, you're a blessed person. If you feel that you need the mercy of God on a daily basis, you're a blessed person. Because you would not feel that way if you were not God's child already born of the Spirit of God. Let's take a look at Jacob's experience found over here in the 32nd chapter of Genesis, verse 10. Now, Jacob, you know, Jacob in his early days was a scoundrel. Uh, the word Jacob means supplanter, means trickster, and he lived up to his name in his early days. We know how Jacob had, um, you know, deceived his father and lied to his father. He obtained a birthright that in the culture of that day would have went to his brother Esau. Uh, but he schemed. He was a schemer, uh, a trickster, a supplanter. And he obtained the birthright. But the Lord dealt with him. And the Lord, was well, he was traveling and, and fleeing away from Esau. But I don't want to go into the details of that this morning. I just want to go to this expression he made here in Genesis 32.10. He says, Lord, he says, I thank you. He said, because I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies, plural, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies or of the truth thou hast showed thy servant. Now, look at the second half of that as well. Or of the truth thou hast shown thy servant. The truth thy servant, talk, Jacob talking about himself, had been shown to him by God, and he says, I'm not worthy of it. I don't believe I'm worthy of the truth of God's sovereign grace, but I'm sure happy and glad God uh, was, pleased, was pleased to show it to me. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. The very least of the mercy. If you want to put them on a scale where you could call one the least and one the greatest, if you could do that. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. And when you look at Jacob's life, he certainly told the truth because God had been very, very merciful unto Jacob. And Jacob realized that. Jacob knew that. And Jacob said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. He knew the benefit of the mercies of God. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, in verse 4, 
Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even we were dead in trespasses and in sins. When I think about that verse, I've mentioned this on more than one occasion to you. When I think about that verse, um, he's telling me, even when I was unlovable, God loved me. Even when there was nothing about me whatsoever that would appeal to anybody, God loved me. But God who's rich in mercy, wherewith his great love, rich mercy and great love, whereby he loved me, loved us, when we were dead in trespasses and sins. When you were dead in trespasses and sins, you had a carnal mind that was enmity against God. You had a heart that was deceitful um, above all things and desperately wicked. And Jeremiah says, who can know it? That's the kind of heart you had. That's the kind of mind you had. Uh, your mind was enmity against God. You were crying in your heart, there is no God. That's you in your unregenerate state, you see, when you were dead in trespasses and in sins. Your feet were swift to shed blood, uh, run to evil. Your mouth, when it opened up, cursing came out of it. The poison of ass was under your tongue. That's you and that is me by human nature right there. And yet God still loved us. God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us. That shows the greatness of his love. Uh, I believe it's on the same level as John 3, 16. When God said, for God so loved the world. That's the world of his elect, the world of his children, the world of his family, the world of his people, uh, his bride. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Those who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that verse is a declaration. It's a proclamation. It's an assurance text. Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ shall never perish. You're never going to perish because you could not believe that if you hadn't already been born of the Spirit of God. You see, belief is an evidence of God's grace. I was uh, speaking to uh, a friend that y'all met now, in the name of Rico, the other day at the picnic. And Brother Terry Smith was doing his medley, and he played that song, or Roy Acuff, I think, sang it, or whoever. Uh, and, you know, one of the parts of the verse is, uh, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in, go at his heart. And Brother Terry paused on that, made a comment about that, and said something to the effect, you know, we don't embrace that kind of that sentiment, you know, those were his words. And Rico kind of looked at him with a strange look on his face, because he's just getting acquainted with the things we we're talking about here. So as we were leaving, I, well, I told him, I said, I'll talk to you later. So as we were leaving, I said, let me explain that to you. I said, let me just ask you a question. I said, who's got more power, Jesus or you? Well, Jesus does. I said, and that's right. I said, if you think, don't you think if Jesus wanted to come to your heart then, he wouldn't have no problem? He'd just do it? He said, well, of course he would. He said, that's the way it happened to me. I said, I didn't ask him in. He just came right in. I said, what you're doing now is letting your experience teach you the truth. You're letting your experience teach you the truth. And if people would examine their experience, examine their experience, they would have to come to the conclusion, salvations of the Lord, or I have no salvation at all. You'd have to come to the conclusion that salvation is of the Lord, salvation is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can come to no other conclusion if you properly interpret your experience that you had with the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask one of my dear friends one of these days uh, when we're discussing some of these things, um, I think I'm going to ask them, do you think I'm saved? Don't let me. 
Do you think I'm saved? Do you think uh, uh, I got a home in heaven? I trust they'll say yes. <laughs> I hope they'll say yes. And then I'm going to tell them, I'll say, well, I've never done any of the things you say you got to do in order to be saved. I never did a one of those. I never did a one of those. The Lord Jesus Christ, being me the object of his love, he just came into my heart, changed my heart from a hardened stony heart to a heart of flesh. He delivered me from a state of death and sin to a state of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him, all him, first to last, from beginning to end, you see. And so we find this mercy that we're talking about is very important, even in our experiences here with the Lord. Um, go to James 5.10. And here James tells us, he says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord in times past as an example of suffering afflictions and enduring. It says, uh, think of Job. Now he gives Job as an example of one of those prophets of the past that he's talking about. He says, you take a look at the life of Job. He says, and see the end of the Lord, that the Lord is pitiful as showeth his tender mercy. Here we have the tender mercy of God in the life of Job. You remember after Job suffered all those things, experienced all those things, um, Job one time said, if I was just before him, I'd make my calls known. He says, I, I, I'd ask him a question. So the Lord uh, gave him a chance to answer. But before he did, the Lord asked him 56 consecutive questions. 56 of them. Consecutive questions. And when the Lord got through asking Job all these questions, you know what Job did? He just put his hand in his mouth and said nothing. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He just said nothing, you know. The Lord, uh, you know, showed him who he was by nature and who God was. That's what he did there. So he said, take Jake, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, take uh, Job as an example of suffering affliction and see how the Lord was of tender mercy. In the end, in the last chapter of Job, chapter 42, what do we have here? We have the Lord restoring unto Job twice what he had in the very beginning of all the oxen, of all the sheep, you know, uh, and all, all the animals and everything else, all he possessed, the Lord restored to him double what he had. And then he gave him back the exact number of children that he had originally. And when you think about when those children died, uh, let's say they, they went to heaven, then you really got twice as many children. You got the 10 original, now you got the 10 that he gives them here. And so the Lord gave him double for everything he had in the very beginning. That's how gracious God is and how tender the mercy of God is. There was a woman one time in the name of Elizabeth, and she was already barren. And uh, she'd done gone past the age of childbearing, but God intervened on her behalf and her husband, Zacharias. And she conceived, and she brought forth a son in the name of John the Baptist. If you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 58. 57, 58, and you'll see where she came to the time when she would deliver the child, and she did. And John the Baptist is born. It said all her friends and her neighbors all came there and rejoiced in the fact that God had bestowed great mercy upon her. Great mercy upon her. Had not God intervened miraculously, she would have never had a child. But she did have a child. You know what a child she had? John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one of the most important men, of course, in the New Testament, and said God had great mercy upon her. So I love these terms, the tender mercy of God, the great mercy of God. Uh, 
Let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain the mercy of God. In the book of 1 Peter 1, 3, Peter says, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us according to his abundant mercy, uh, that we, uh, according to his abundant mercy, uh, he has revived us by the resurrection to a lively hope, is what I want there, uh, according to the resurrection, uh, begotten us to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you study Peter's life, and you see um, before the crucifixion of Christ, you know how Peter denied the Lord three times. But after the resurrection of Christ, you'll find Peter being a different man. And Peter says, based upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he hath begotten me again into a lively hope. Now, Peter had hope, but it needed to be revived. You know, um, I'm glad I'm here this morning because I, I feel a lot better right now than I did before I got here. This past week was out of the ordinary for me, very unusual. And then, I'm telling you this literally, every single day this past week, every day, no exceptions, I got a bad report. Every single day. I got a report that was negative. Most of it was reports of sickness. I got a bad report every single day this entire week. I did not get one good report. Not one. I even done something Friday. I flew to Jacksonville, Florida to be at McClendon Primitive Baptist Church Friday night and Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Flew back last night. It's one reason I'm kind of hoarse this morning. I uh, had to preach about three times in about 17, 18 hours. But anyway, on the way down there, when I got to the airport, I'd done something I'd never done before. And all the times I've been flying over the years, I'd done something I'd never done before. I had to go through security twice. Through security twice. And I pay so much money to get my TSA, which means I can go through the line without taking my belt off, my shoes off, and everything else. But somehow or another, it hadn't got updated. So I didn't get to use that. No, I had to take off my shoes, my belt, into all my pockets, everything else, not just once, twice. And the reason for that, and I'll have to tell them myself, uh, to tell the story, and the reason for that is because when I looked at my boarding pass, I looked at um, <laughs> the wrong letters and numbers. I thought I was going to be at gate B when I was supposed to be at gate C. And so I went to gate B on the other side of the airport from where I was supposed to be at to find out I was in the wrong place. So they sent me back all the way over there again and I already gone through security. In fact, I had to go outside the terminal, go back down to Southwest Airlines while I walked in about 45 minutes before that, go back in there and go to the right terminal, the right gate, had to go through uh, security again. And so... I hate to have to tell you that, but anyway, I did. So that was no fun, you know. But, I, but that's a great example this morning, I'm going to tell you, why you need to allow extra time when you're going somewhere for the unexpected. Because I can assure you, I did not expect to have to go through security twice. Once is enough. Flying's got to be a hassle, you know. And I didn't even get to use my TSA going. Now, I got it straightened out coming back. Got to use it then. But I didn't get... One good report all week, every single day. I got a message, I got a text, I got a phone call from somebody to tell me something that was negative. But I'm going to tell you, while I was in McClinney, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, I was revived. 
I was revived in the house of God. I was revived among the people of God. I was revived in hearing preaching. Uh, Brother Sam Bryant was with me as well, and hearing him preach and in preaching myself. Uh, I was revived. My spirits got lifted up. For a while, I forgot about all those negative reports. For a while, I forgot about those things. Of course, the meeting was over, and I was coming home. Then it all came back. But anyway, I forgot all about them for a while. And for a while, I thought everything was just Jim Dandy. For a while, I thought everything was just right. I thought everything was wonderful for a while, and I was revived. And here this morning, uh, I feel somewhat revived here this morning. I hope that you do. It's kind of like a drooping plant, you know, that's been hot and dry, and all of a sudden it gets a nice shower of rain. You ever seem like that plant just, just you can almost see the, the leaves uh, moving as it re responds to the wonderful rain that comes down upon it. And I've said many times, we're the only ones I know of that can have a revival meeting. Everybody else is trying to have a resurrection meeting. They're trying to have a meeting where they raise the dead, which we can't do. We have a revival meeting where we want to revive the living. And so I want to be, you can't revive a dead person. You know that, right? You can't revive a dead person, but you can revive somebody that's got life. Sometimes somebody says, you know that person died, but they brought them back to life again. No, I'm afraid not. If they died, they died. You ain't bringing them back. Now, I know uh, maybe technically or whatever, their heart may have stopped. They may have got it coming back one thing or another, but they revived them. They didn't give them life. Only God can give life. Now, this woman here, she comes asking for mercy. And we find where the Lord didn't answer her a word. It's interesting how the Lord dealt with his people in different ways. And uh, we'll kind of bring this to a conclusion here. She, he didn't answer her a word. And then it says, she said, oh Lord, help me. Now I want you to notice it's her daughter that's got the, you know, the devil, the unclean spirit. Her daughter does. But she says, help me. I, I can just see her grieving for her daughter. I can see her just grieving that her daughter's got this unclean spirit, this devil in her, and she's asking the Lord to cast that devil out and I can see how this has broken her heart. It has gotten her so down. She says, Lord, um, uh, help me. And to help her meant to cast that devil out. Not only would her daughter be free of the devil and the unclean spirit, but it also freed the mother of the captivity of grief, no doubt that she was going through. So, Lord, help me. Here's a three-word prayer. Some of the most effectual prayers recorded in the Bible are three-word prayers. Peter we sunk down beneath the water and said, Lord, save me. Here this woman says, uh, Lord, help me. And the Lord did. But here's what the Lord said. He said, it's not meat to give the children's bread unto the dogs. Now, you won't understand that expression, that statement, if you don't understand what I said in the very beginning of Jesus being in Gentile territory. The Jews looked upon the Gentiles as dogs. She's a Gentile. The Lord says, it's not meat, that is, it's not reasonable, it's not correct or right to give the children's bread, talking about the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, you know, the Jewish bread, or, you know, to the dogs. You know how she replies to that? She says, truth, Lord. That's the third time she's acknowledged him as Lord. Truth, Lord. You're exactly right, Lord. You told the truth, Lord. And that's spelled, by the way, with a capital T. And Jesus Christ is truth personified. Truth, Lord. She says, but the dogs do eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. The dogs do eat the crumbs. The dogs that's under the table do eat the crumbs that fall 
from the master's table. You've seen that happen many times, having your little, little dog in the kitchen around the table as you're eating, and something drops, and boy, they just run over there and grab it up. They're just looking for that. They, they expect you to drop something. My daddy would do it on purpose. You know, he couldn't stand to have that little dog looking up at him, my little dog. So he'd just drop some on purpose. I said, Daddy, don't feed him from the table. Now it's going to mess him. Oh, okay, I, I won't. And next thing I know, I look over there, and he's, he's dropping some on the, on the floor for him. He just couldn't stand it. But anyway, uh, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And the Lord Jesus Christ told her, he says, Great is your faith. Here's a woman that's a Gentile. She did not have the blessings of the oracles of God. Here's a woman that's a Gentile. She didn't even live geographically where the Lord spent most of his life. She lived out here out of pocket, so to speak. But somewhere, somehow, faith was put into her heart. And we know where it come from. It come from God Almighty. God had born her. The Spirit put faith in her heart. She had heard of Jesus. And she came to Jesus because she believed that Jesus could cast the unclean spirit and the devil out of her daughter and deliver her daughter and deliver her. She believed that. She was not going to be turned away. First of all, she overcame the Lord's silence. And then the disciples tried to get her to, to go away. The disciples tell the Lord, said, Behold, she crieth after us. And the disciples just thought she was being a nuisance. But I want to say this in closing this morning. As busy as Jesus was in his life, even though in his humanity he needed to come apart every once in a while himself, he needed to rest himself, the Lord Jesus Christ never one time failed to reach and help one of his little children. Not one time. When blind Bartimaeus cried after him, the Bible says Jesus stood still. He stood still and helped him. Jesus in a house, not nobody's supposed to know he's there, but somehow know they do. The woman comes there. The disciples think she's being a nuisance. He won't hurt her, shoo her away, but the Lord won't do it. The Lord helped the woman. The Lord, no matter what the situation was, the Lord was always available. And that's why I want you to remember, hopefully what I've preached, but also what Brother Tim has said this morning, casting all your care upon him, for he cared for you. He proved he cared for this woman here, even under these circumstances, he proved he cared for her, and he said, Thou great is thy faith, be as it thou will. He says, Thy daughter has been healed at that very same hour. At that very moment, her daughter had the unclean spirit cast out of her and had the devil uh, put out of her life. The Lord didn't have to take a period of time to do it. He just did it instantaneously. He did it immediately, just like that, and that devil was out of there.